It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. P.T. Forsyth once said, Unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon yield to that which is about us. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And joining me, as always, is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Our question is, has my Christianity been compromised? And our theme text is found in Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay. Has my Christianity been compromised? Julie is joining us today as well. Hello, Julie. Hi, gentlemen. Happy to be here. It's good to have you, for sure. Mm-hmm. Has my Christianity been compromised? So coming up in today's podcast, oh, look, look, let's face it, we would get along so much better if we would just compromise. So find out why this isn't a good idea in about 15 minutes. Yeah, that's right. I said it's not a good idea. Have to hear the whole story. What are the signs of a deviously offered compromise? How can we see through its evil? We're going to talk about that in about 30 minutes. And then finally, so when is it good to compromise? When does giving in actually help us all go higher? There are several fascinating answers to this coming up in about 45 minutes. But first, let's set the context for our conversation. Compromise can be so misunderstood. On one hand, we as Christians should be standing for and living a compromise-free life. Nothing should ever water down our life principles of sacrifice. Walking steadfastly in Jesus' footsteps must always be our immovable goal. On the other hand, there are times and places when compromise is not only an option, but a necessary and spiritually based choice of righteousness. Because we're all imperfect and we will inevitably come across circumstances where compromise is not lowering of our standards, but a raising of them, how then do we tell the difference? What makes some compromises good and others just plain wrong? And I recently heard a sermon from a friend of Christian Questions named John Bevel called Worshiping God in the Wilderness, and it made some wonderful connecting lessons from the time of Moses to what we go through today. So with permission, we've used some of John's thoughts here. We will track some experiences of Israel's journey to freedom from Egyptian slavery for practical lessons. Specifically, we'll focus on Pharaoh's progressive responses to Moses' request let my people go, and apply these responses to Satan in our spiritual lives. So metaphorically, we're going to use their slavery in Egypt as a metaphor for worldly influences and their hold on us. Pharaoh, in this case, is going to represent Satan, and the Israelites leaving Egypt would represent leaving the bondage of sin, leaving that world. Okay, all right, so we've got a picture in front of us to draw our Christian lessons from. So we're going to be talking about 
the 10 plagues, but really not all 10 of them. We're going to mention them as we go, but there's specific plagues we're going to focus on for specific reasons. So we want to get a quick perspective on the 10 plagues as a unit. So Jonathan, just run us through that perspective. Well, the first three plagues fall upon both the Jews and the Egyptians. The next six plagues are only upon the Egyptians. The 10th affected both, but the Jews had a way to be saved from it if they were obedient. Okay, so we've got this sense of you've got these 10 plagues, they, they resulted in the freedom of Israel. How did all of that come to be? Well, God foretold the events of Israel's pathway to freedom when he spoke to Moses through the burning bush before he sent him back to Egypt. So this is going before Moses comes back to Egypt, he is up on the mount and he is before the burning bush. There's three things that are going to be displayed here that we're going to talk about. First, God speaks to Moses of the deliverance of his people. And we're going to go to Exodus chapter 3, verses 17 through 20. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So long before Moses sets foot back in Egypt, he's being told, I'm going to free my people. And I'm going to bring you to the land of Canaan, this land flowing with milk and honey. So this is a very powerful, powerful promise of deliverance. Next, God speaks of the tactics which he is going to use to do this. Rick, what do you mean by tactic? Okay, tactic. In, in a military sense, there are tactics and there are strategies. A tactic is short term. It's for the immediate battle, okay, uh, versus a strategy, which is the strategy is we want to get the people out. The tactic is, what are the specific things you do at specific times to get it done? And when you think about this, think about with military uh, individuals, think about they wear tactical gear, okay? Gear for the job that's right in front of them. The tactical gear is different if you're going to take a hill versus take a building. Completely different gear because it's a different immediate process. So God actually is speaking of tactics of how to do this deliverance of these millions of people from slavery. And here's what he says. We're in Exodus chapter 3, and we're looking at verse verse 18. They will pay heed to you when you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Okay, that's a tactic. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Then God speaks to Moses of the strategy, the long range, the bigger picture. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go, except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. So God says, you're going to the promised land, but don't tell Pharaoh that because he isn't going to let you go. Instead, tell him that you want to just make sacrifices in the wilderness three days journey away from Egypt. So is God lying or is he directing Moses to lie to Pharaoh? No, 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 no. Of course not. Absolutely not. See, God. here's the thing. God knew Pharaoh's heart. He knew his heart was hard, and he knew that Pharaoh would not even allow the people to go three days' journey into the wilderness to to, to serve him. He knew that. Never mind freedom. Freedom didn't even have to come into the picture. What God was doing is he was exposing the evil of Pharaoh's heart, 
and it was a necessary step in the achievement of their freedom. God understood what he was dealing with, and the tactic was ask for something relatively simple. Don't ask for freedom. Just let my people go to worship. That's all. So this is not a lie. He's saying, I'm going to show you how dark this heart is, and that's why Pharaoh is such a great picture of Satan at this point, because it's his heart is darkened with only things that are good for him. Hey, Rick, help me with this. What does Israel and the Ten Plagues have to do with my Christianity's potentially being compromised? Well, and that's, that is the most important question here at this point. See, we believe, we see that Pharaoh represents Satan, and Israel represents God's people. So when we look at what happens there, we can take those lessons and say, what about me? And we're going to understand what not to compromise with as we go through this. And Jonathan, just quick scripture on that, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Okay, seeking someone to devour. You don't compromise with the lion who seeks to devour you. Right? You don't say, well, here, just take my hand, leave me the rest. You get away from the lion. This is what we need to learn from these particular experiences. So that's what it all has to do with Christianity, and we're going to unfold that. Now, here's the interesting part. Before Pharaoh gives the Hebrews freedom from Egypt, he offers these four progressive compromises, and they're going to give us a lesson on what not to bargain with. We're going to call these compromise catastrophe zones, and we're going to go through four of them. And when we say a compromise catastrophe zone, when you hear the word catastrophe today on this podcast, don't try this at home because it never, ever can work well or work right. So let's get started laying some more groundwork. Before each plague, Moses would go to Pharaoh and tell him God's words, and we can see that reflected in Exodus 7, verse 16. Let my people go so that they may serve me in the wilderness. Very simple. So for the first three plagues, there was an outright denial of God's words. And here is where the story begins to get really interesting. And just a quick note, Moses at this point is 80 years old, according to Exodus 7, 6. His greatest days of service to the Lord are ahead of him, which is something our older listeners should consider. So there's great (laughs) enthusiasm in this. You got the old man who's going to do the delivery because it took those 80 years to prepare him for this incredible work that God would have him do. You know, it sure doesn't look like Pharaoh's the kind of guy you can reason with. And what a great picture of Satan. Obviously, we know we should never compromise with Satan. So what could possibly go wrong? Knowing what to do and what not to do is the easy part. The challenge comes into play when we must match our discipline and commitment against our proposed compromise. This is not just where the rubber meets the road. It's where our very lives as Christians are completely defined. Make no mistake about this. This is a big deal. And again, this is about compromises that you never, ever make. So, Julie, give us a little context because we're going to drop in on the fourth plague. What about the first three? Well, because of Pharaoh's stubbornness, that first plague was water turned to blood, but Pharaoh wouldn't listen. Then came the second plague that was frogs coming out of the Nile and filling everyone's houses with frogs. Pharaoh begged for them to be taken away, but still it didn't change his mind. 
And side note, God allowed all the frogs to die and created these stinking heaps of dead piles of frogs. So that was gross. Um, <laughs> then the third plague was all about where the dust in the land turned into lice. Based on the Hebrew word, it's also been translated as perhaps fleas or gnats. Now, remember, these first three affected both the Egyptian and the Jews, but the next six, miraculously, are only going to happen to the Egyptians. God said it will be a sign to make this a clear distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people and to show that the Lord has power even in the heart of the land. This will be important with our metaphor as we go on because there's a clear distinction between people who are in, air quote, Egypt, meaning the world and its influences, and those who leave Egypt completely to follow righteousness. And we know God has the ultimate power over Satan. So, and it's interesting that Pharaoh really starts with the compromising in that fourth plague, the ones that um, are, are specifically on the Egyptians. And it was only after this fourth plague, which was a swarm of flies, that hit. Um, and, and this is what Pharaoh says. So here's Pharaoh's beginning to uh, try to work through this big problem that he's having. Exodus chapter 8, verses 25 through 27. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It is not permissible for us to do so because we will sacrifice to the Lord our God that which is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice that which is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go a three-day journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to our Lord God, just as he commands us. So here is Pharaoh's first compromising offer. He said, do your sacrifices, but stay within the land, within the land of Egypt. Well, Moses' answer was no. It would offend Pharaoh's own people, and it's not what God said. But Rick, why would it offend Pharaoh's people to sacrifice to God? Well, think about it, You know, and that's a really good question. You, you've got the first three plagues that actually mirror three of the gods of Egypt. And it's like the gods of Egypt are mad at the people. And that's what they're probably thinking. And so Moses knows if we are going to, to worship our own God within this land, it's, these people are going to rebel against us because we're worshiping this God that hasn't done any, any harm. And, you know, why, how, why, we can't stand for that. You're our slaves. So Moses is not just giving them a line. He's speaking a truth. You had incredible superstitions in those days, and they were locked on to their gods and what they thought they did for them. And if you are going to contradict them, people would rise up in those days. Absolutely. And so Moses had an incredibly good point there. Well, you know, we're talking about 10 plagues and these 10 different gods, but I, I looked it up and there are many more gods in Egypt than just these 10. Yeah, yeah. And in the uh, CQ Rewind show notes this week, we put in more details on the corresponding Egyptian gods that each plague might have been challenging. And our show notes can be found at ChristianQuestions.com and on our app, or you can sign up for our weekly newsletter and get them by email as soon as they are ready. So don't miss the CQ Rewind show notes this week. Well, Moses gave his answer. What's my answer? Okay, there's the big question, and here's our first compromise catastrophe zone. So compromise catastrophe zone number one. And when we say catastrophe, what does that mean? Don't try this at home. Don't do this. 
And here's the catastrophe zone. We're calling it the incognito Christian. Stay in the world and be unrecognizable from everyone else. So remember, Pharaoh's compromise was sacrifice to your God, but do it within the land. Stay in Egypt. And our lesson is we can still be Christians quietly without making a big deal about it. We can still fit in with our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. We can be different on Monday than we were on Sunday, and that makes us just like everybody else. And that, my friends, is a catastrophe. If you are for Christ, that is not what is expected. See, the catastrophe of this compromise is that we do not apply our Christianity with any seriousness. We wear the label but we do not live the life. Okay, wait. That's an awesome phrase. We wear the label, but we do not live the life. That's the incognito Christian. That's what we can't be. Do not allow that thinking to get into your head and your heart and your actions. This is a compromise, and it's a deal with the devil not to be tolerated. As an example of this, let's look at the parable part of the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. We're just going to read just the result of one of the servants that was supposed to go have that the, those talents work for, for the master. Matthew uh, 25, verses 24 to 30, we'll take it in two parts. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. So you have this one servant. Now, there were three different servants given these three different levels of of talents, and go, go, go occupy, go make these things work for me while I'm gone. And the picture here is this one servant comes back and says, well, I buried it in the ground because I knew you were a hard man. I didn't want to take a chance on losing anything. So here, I'm giving you back what you gave me. A... He didn't do what he was told. B, he is representing the master when he's gone. How many people would have known he buried it in the ground? Nobody. Nobody. Exactly. He did it in secret. That's the classic incognito Christian. You can't tell him from anybody else. This is not the way you represent Christianity. And we know that by the answer that the master gives in this parable. It's a hard answer. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And... As we know, Rick and Julie, weeping and gnashing of teeth means extreme regret and anguish, not torture. Right, right. And we've, we've done podcasts on that, very important aspect of this thing. But the point is that the master is displeased because he was not uh, obeyed. And it's really simple. That's, as a Christian, our job is to obey Christ. I don't know how much simpler to make it. That's the way it's supposed to be. We cannot be incognito Christians. See, the consequence of compromises that brings us the, quote, incognito Christian life, the consequences are deep regret and anguish over opportunities lost. And make no mistake, 
If you begin following Christ, but you live that Christ-like life in an incognito way, you will feel anguish and regret over what you did not do with this incredible, incredible gift. Don't be an incognito Christian. Okay, let's get back to Moses and get back to the picture that help us, helps us to understand this. You know, because Moses' answer was sound, Pharaoh tried again while the flies, remember it was the fourth plague of the flies, the flies are still swarming, and here's how the conversation unfolds, Exodus chapter 8, verse 28. Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go far away. Make supplication for me. Here comes Pharaoh's second compromise. Remember first he said, make your sacrifices, but do it right here. Now he extends a little and says, okay, you can leave Egypt, but don't go too far away. So Jonathan, you read, make supplication for me. What does make supplication for me mean? Well, basically, ask your God to stop the flies already. We're, we're tired of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, this is not the first time Pharaoh has to ask to have the, the plague stopped, okay? So now, here's the thing. God knows Pharaoh's deceitful heart. He knows that he's just asking for relief, and he's not really going to do anything helpful. But yet, he allows Moses to again show mercy. We see that in Exodus chapter 8, uh, verse 29. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I shall make supplication to the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only do not let Pharaoh deal deceitfully again in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Yeah, Pharaoh already had changed his mind once before with that frog plague back in Exodus 15. So here Moses is saying, you know, I'm on to you. If God takes these flies away, you've got to let us go. No no tradebacks. <laughs> you know, and see, that that's the interesting thing. And it, also you notice that Moses says, yes, I will, I will give supplication before God. I will earnestly present this to God. Moses is showing that I'm not, I, Moses, am not in control. It's God I'm listening to. Oh, and it's God, it's God that you are trying to compromise with. And I'm, I'm going to go seek mercy. You know, and but don't be deceitful again, because he already did this before. And so Moses is on to him. See, once the flies are gone, you know what happens? The deceit comes back. And Pharaoh's like, nope, you can't go. Why? Because the problem's gone. Deceit takes center stage again. And here's the thing. Never trust Satan. See, that's a good little sticky note. Put it on your refrigerator. Never trust Satan. We just heard Moses. What's my answer? Okay. Moses has spoken about being very plain, going before God, and fulfilling whatever it is God says for him to do. What's my answer? We already talked about the incognito Christian, the compromise catastrophe zone. The second one, after the incognito Christian, is the convenient Christian. You can be different, but not too different. Mm -hmm. Don't go too far away from everyone else. Pharaoh's compromise, remember, was you can go, but don't go far. And for us, we should remove our Christian lives away from the world, but certainly not too far, would say the convenient Christian, because you never know when you might need to re-engage. It's best to be prepared. You know, this world is sticky, and Satan is sneaky, and it's really hard to make a stand and keep it without getting sucked back in. And that's what this is about. 
Okay, so sticky is sneaky. <laughs> because it makes us it makes you stick around, it makes you stay where you shouldn't be. So this is the convenient Christian. You can go, but don't go too far. Those are the words of Pharaoh. Moses' answer, Jonathan, like you said before, was no, no sorry. That's, that's, we, we don't do that. We do what God tells us to do. The catastrophe of this compromise is that we apply our Christianity impulsively. See, we're set up to react in what looks to be a rational way. In reality, the impulsiveness is driven by our fleshly thinking. So here, here's the thing. Important aspect of this, Jesus warns his prospective followers of the cost of discipleship. Okay? He's in, and, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. Uh, and there's very three very interesting examples of those in a position to follow Jesus. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And basically, Rick and Julie, we think that's, let me stay with the old man until he dies. Yeah, yeah. But, but he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. These seem to be pretty hard words from Jesus. You have three examples. The first one says, well, I'll follow you, Lord. And he says, and he, you know, and Jesus can read our hearts. And he looks and says, you know, you don't understand. I, have, I don't live anywhere. I go from place to place to place. I don't have a place I call home. You're not going to be able to handle this. He, why did this guy want to follow Jesus? Who wouldn't want to follow the guy who works the miracles and feeds the, the, the multitudes? It's exciting. It is. It's exciting. It's fascinating. It's like, and I could be a part of this. Cool. Cool is not the right response. Okay? Cool is a response of convenience. What we need to be is dedicated. And like you said, Jonathan, the second example, he says to this other person, follow me. And the second person is like, well, you know, let me stay with my old father who's, who's you know, going to die. And as soon, as soon as I take care of business, I will, I'll immediately follow. And what does Jesus say? No. Let the dead bury the dead. He's saying to him, don't put me second. If you're going to follow me, you have to follow me, and everything else has to come into line with your following me. Third person says, and, and you know, Jonathan, we were talking earlier, and you pointed out that there's two of these examples where the individual's offering to follow. That's right. But Jesus, the middle one, said, come, follow me. Yeah. So this third one is like, okay, I'll follow you, but just let me say goodbye to it people at home. I mean, I mean, what could be so bad about that? And again, Jesus is saying, you're not understanding. If you are going to say those words, yes, I will follow you, that means you are with me. Don't put anything else in front of me, because the life that I'm going to bring you to has a lot of work and reward beyond your imagination, but you have to comply, and it's not convenient. And that's the key. Julie, go ahead. 
Uh, you know, I've got just to switch stories real quick. One of my favorite CQ episodes is number 1064. It was called, Is He Who Hesitates Really Lost? It's the story of Abraham and his nephew Lot, where Lot sets up his family right on the border of Sodom. And Lot rationalized that the ground was more fertile and his family could thrive, even though they'd be mingling with this clearly defined settlement of evil. And we shouldn't be pitching our tents right up on the border. Don't get too close to that line because we're supposed to be separate, even a peculiar people, as we're called in First Peter 2.9. All right. So an- another good episode to take a look at in terms of Christianity is not convenient. Lot, not a good example. These examples here, these are, don't try this at home. The consequences of a Christian life riddled with impulsive compromises of convenience are— here are the consequences, serious disappointment, and even loneliness. And I think this type of compromise also carries with it a lot of guilt, because we know we should be doing or not be doing something else. And a true Christian cannot have one foot in each of two worlds. How many times when things start going wrong do people, we hear people making deals with God? Yeah. You know, God, if, if you do this, I'll go to church every week and I'll stop doing whatever it is I'm not supposed to be doing. And sometimes we impulsively reach up only when there's no other place to reach and we're desperate. And that's impulsive and convenient. And looking up should be so instinctive that that's the first place we look. And that's the problem here. And that's why you never make a deal with the devil. That's why Moses unequivocally said no to Pharaoh. This is simple and scary. Satan wants us to compromise our lives so we will be deluded and invisible. Compromising with Pharaoh or with Satan never ends well. What else do we need to watch out for? The seventh plague was hail and fire. Now that followed the fourth plague of the flies that we just talked about, the death of the Egyptian cattle and livestock, boils and scores, uh, uh, sores on the Egyptian people. So we get to the seventh plague of hail and fire, and it did tremendous damage to many of Egypt's crops. After Pharaoh begged for the storm to stop and agreed to let the people go, he again, guess what he did? He hardened his heart. While, quote, bargaining with Moses, Pharaoh's answer changed again, and now he offers another new compromise. We're going to drop in Exodus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, let only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Isn't this interesting? Uh, Pharaoh is really trying to change the reality of what he was told by Moses. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Interesting tactic. It, yeah, you know, he's trying, to, he's trying to fight a battle, trying to use tactics, but again, you're fighting against God Almighty. Uh, you know, stop now. It just it hurts less if you stop now. And notice there's not even any negotiation. He just throws them, throws out Moses and Aaron out of his presence. So here's Pharaoh's offer of compromise. Have only the men go and worship the Lord, but leave your women and children behind. So it's like this next progression now. And and after being driven from Pharaoh, Moses' answer was to follow God's commands and bring the eighth plague of locusts. There would be no negotiating with an evil Pharaoh. There would only be obedience to God Almighty. 
And it's interesting that seventh plague of hail, it destroyed the crops of flax and barley. And those would have been used for clothing and beverages. But the wheat and the rye, which was the food, was not touched because they weren't growing yet. So once the food supply was damaged by this eighth plague of locusts, things were really getting dire. And we can imagine the Egyptian people were just about done with all this plague business. <laughs> Moses took his stand. What's my answer? And again, you keep asking that question because the question that we're talking about is, has my Christianity been compromised? Am I going to go for this compromise? Well, have only the men go and worship the Lord. We come to our third piece that's so important here, the compromise catastrophe zone number three. Now, first was being incognito. Second was being convenient. The third one is the neglectful Christian. Compromising your household by neglecting your responsibilities and privileges as a spouse, parent, and a caretaker of needy ones. So remember, Pharaoh's compromise was you can go, but leave the women and children behind. And so in this neglectful Christian stage, we might be thinking, well, sure, sacrifice is important, but sometimes things seem like they're way too complicated. So if I can just take care of myself, I can barely do that, let alone figure out how to help others. God, God will understand. Okay. And essentially, sounds great, but it's being neglectful. So what may sound great is actually a catastrophe. That's what it is. Make no mistake, when we are neglectful in the living of our Christianity, that's a catastrophe. The ca catastrophe of this compromise is that we apply our Christianity in a very self-centered way. Satan takes great joy in such neglect and compromise. To just focus on me and my doing what seems good for me is blatantly to neglect the true responsibilities of my Christian calling. Folks, newsflash. The responsibilities of a Christian calling go far beyond ourselves. And if we can't get that into our heads, it's not just me and Jesus. It's me as a prospective member of the body of Christ of Jesus, which means everybody else. What am I doing about that? Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 24, to put this in order. And the first couple of verses really get our minds set. So, Jonathan, let's just do 15 and 16 first. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. So, plainly, it says, first, get your heart right, and second, get your head right. Okay, and now it's time for the responsibilities. The peace and word of Christ keep us focused. We now apply that focus to Christ-like behavior. Verses 18 through 20. 21, I'm sorry. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So do things you're supposed to do. That's pretty simple. And for parents, their responsibility is to, as Proverbs says, train up a child in the way that he shall go. But our social activities, taking up time better used for family spiritual discussions, are parents investing in their kids' spiritual growth? Or have they planted themselves in a place too close to evil like Lot did? 
you know, kids playing violent video games or watching R-rated movies or too much screen time or compromising what they're going to be doing on a Sunday morning. And just, we, we do, it's Christian Questions, we have something called CQ Kids Videos, um, quite a library now. And we have a lot of listeners that write in and tell us that they are spending time with their children, looking at these videos, watching them and talking about them and discussing, having a little miniature Bible study with their children so that you can, again, train them up in the way they should go. If we are a neglectful Christian, those things are like, yeah, when I get around to it. No, 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 no. It is a matter of let's do the things that are most important, just like you said, Jonathan. Let's do them first. We should not neglect our Christian principles. Next piece of the scripture. Don't neglect your Christian principles, even when it might feel like they don't apply because you're just dealing with things of the world, and who cares about that? I really care about God, not things of the world. Well, back in those days, there were slaves. Here's what it says in Colossians about slaves' Christian mentality. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So basically this is saying, don't be negligent. That demeans God. Hmm, That's a good point. In addition to our own families, we have a responsibility to our Christian brethren. You know, we don't want to leave behind our spiritual family either. So we need to look outside of ourselves and see who we need to take along with us. So again, what we're saying is here the neglectful Christian is fulfilling what Pharaoh suggests. Okay, you can go worship, you can go serve, just leave everybody else behind. And the answer that Moses gave is no. And the answer that we need to give is no, I will not leave the responsibilities of my earthly family behind, of my spiritual family behind, of those who are needy behind. I won't do that. I will not be neglectful. See, here, here, here's the issue here. The consequences of a Christian life that neglects those who depend on us or those who are in difficult circumstances, here, in, here, here, here are the, the results. The consequences, it's a smaller and a very sparsely fulfilled life. When you think about your life, we want it to be fulfilled. We want to look at our life and say, wow, that was you know, wonderful opportunities. If you sparsely fulfill anything, it's like you look inside and there's almost nothing there. That's what the life of a neglectful Christian looks like. Don't make a deal with the devil. Don't allow him to talk you into that kind of Christianity. Okay. Go ahead, Julie. Well, after the hail and the locusts comes the ninth plague of darkness for three days. And here Pharaoh offers his final compromise in Exodus 10, 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. So again, this is the fourth compromise. You can you can leave the land. You, the men can go. The women can go. The children can go. But leave your flocks and your herds. <laughs> there's Seems always, reasonable. There's always it's something, the very right? thing we're going to sacrifice. <laughs> All right. So, Mo- John, Jonathan, what's Moses' answer here? An unequivocal no. <laughs> we will do what God has commanded. And that leads us to Exodus 10, 25 through 26. But Moses said, you must 
also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know what with we shall serve the Lord. So here's the thing. Moses not only answers no, we're not going without the herds and the flocks, but he says very specifically, matter of fact, not one hoof will be left behind. I love that. I love that. (laughs) Moses is essentially saying, I am not in any way, shape, matter, or form neglecting the will of God. I don't know what God's going to ask us to do when we're out there, so I am going exactly the way he said, not in a way that's convenient to me, not in a way that I can be, uh, that, that I can, you know, kind of do it without anybody noticing, but in a way that I am taking care of every detail that's put in front of me. This is the important thing. Not one hoof is left behind. And this is a great place to remind everyone of our famous theme text that Jonathan read earlier, Joshua 24, 15. Choose you this day whom ye will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Wow, that is awesome. That is a powerful verse. Now, Moses spoke plainly. What's my answer? You keep asking us that. <laughs> and you know, this really is one of those one of those podcasts, folks, that you gotta be looking in the mirror and saying, Okay, am I in any way being a compromised Christian? Moses is showing us very plainly how to rise above these things. So compromise catastrophe zone number four. This is the insecure Christian. We had the incognito Christian, the convenient Christian, the neglectful Christian, and now it's the insecure Christian. I give it all to you, Lord, except all my stuff. I like my stuff. I can serve you well if I can keep my stuff secure. You know, I don't even like to say these words. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's important to represent what we're talking about. Farrell's compromise here was, okay, you can go, take the women and children, but leave your flocks and herds behind. And metaphorically, I think that's, all that stuff that we promised to sacrifice. And it's not just our physical stuff. Is our financial status more important than our status with God? Is what friends or coworkers or those online think of us, is what they think more important than what God thinks? What about continuing our secret sins where we're living secretly wrong, but outwardly right? Are we too connected to having the latest this or that? Do we profess a sacrificial life in Jesus, but are still connected to the world and the things or experiences that we feel we can't live without? Are we leaving hoofs behind? See, folks, we have to understand that our life has to find its security in believing in the Heavenly Father. He can deliver us in His way, in His time. Not only can He, He will in his way, in his time. And that is a guarantee. Is my security in him or is it in my stuff? The catastrophe of this compromise is that we apply our Christianity in a very self-preserving way. What should be a God-first through following Christ attitude ends up being God-first as long as my terms are secure attitude. 
Mm-hmm. Think about and that it. might be a sign that our faith uh, that God will provide exactly what you need is low or that our standard of living or expectation of what we're entitled to is too high. And what that says is, I don't have as much faith in God as I do have in my stuff and me. Oof. And that is an insecure Christian. Okay, and it can happen. Look, if it couldn't happen, we wouldn't have to talk about it. But the scriptures show us again and again. So we're going to look at another example here, and this is a part of the uh, or 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 the 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 account of the rich young ruler from Matt. Read the read the words, Rick. Mark chapter ten, verses seventeen through twenty-two. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, "Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. This is a an insecure follower of Christ. He wants to inherit the kingdom. He wants to be part of Jesus, but he can't let go of his stuff because it meant too much. Folks, remember previously, we saw Jesus putting, telling people, no, you can't follow me, you're not ready. Why? Because you won't put me and the walk first. We don't compromise that. We can't compromise that. That is not what it's about. Our security is in God through Christ, not in ourselves or our stuff. The consequences of a Christian life that's based in self-preserving insecurity, here are the consequences, stagnation, and frustration. You have one foot in each of two worlds, and spiritual progress is simply not possible. We have to carefully examine our lives and see what we might be clinging too tightly to. And we can see a progression in these compromises. If Satan sees that we overcome some weakness or make progress in some areas, he comes up with others that might be harder for us to discern. The tendency of this world is to lower our Christian standard to the society we live in. And Christians think that as long as they attend church and maybe a weekly Bible study and try to be good people and refrain from a sinful lifestyle, that it's enough. But here Jesus is saying that's not enough. Right, right. Well, to wrap up the plagues, we know the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn. We also know the Egyptians wanted to throw out the Israelites from their land. They had had enough. You know, and that's that's interesting because you can see the tactics and the strategy of God unfold. The tactics were challenge Pharaoh on something relatively simple. Don't ask for freedom. Ask for the ability to go worship. And he went back and forth and back and forth. And by the end of the plagues, all of the people of Egypt, including Pharaoh, were saying, get out of here. Don't come back. So the tactics were flawless. They took a long time, but God's will typically takes a long time. And Moses never compromised, never gave an inch, but only did what God would have him do. You know, if there's one thing we can learn from Moses, it's that we need to be all in, all the time, with God's will. 
Now that we know the kinds of compromises to always avoid, what kinds should we embrace? Okay. We should always be about our Father's business and never make, never make a deal with the devil. While this sounds obvious, it is not necessarily easy to put into practice. Just as difficult is the recognition and application of the kinds of compromises that drive our Christianity toward growth and maturity. So it comes down to there are appropriate compromises, and we have to be focused on what they are and how they work. Appropriate compromise has to do with understanding and applying the differences between principles and personal preferences. Too often we see our preferences as pure principles and end up not able to see another's perspective. So I know that it's difficult because we don't always know what our principles are, or what the principle and what the preference is, because we think our preference is our principle. Right. And I, I'd never thought of it before, but should we be praying actually for discernment about what a principle versus our preference is? Yeah, you know, when we pray for the Lord's will to be done in our lives, that's really what we, that, that, that's, a, that's an outgrowth of that prayer. Lord, help me to do your will. Okay, then I want you in turn to look at what you are what, what your preferences are, and be honest with yourself. Are you making your preference something more than it is? You know, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. That is how we learn principle versus preference. That's really what it comes down to. And I think also, Rick and Julie, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 uh, says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So it comes down to God is our guide in all our ways. And so it's a matter of what is the principle and how do we uphold it? So, okay, well, how do you tell when you should compromise? Glad you asked, because here we go with, with several suggestions that are scriptural. And we're going to call these the compromise welcoming zone. Okay, there's three of well, these. that's nice. That's Yay. much better than the <laughs> catastrophe zone. Yeah, I know. We don't want catastrophe anymore. Last segment here is all about welcoming compromise. And the first zone in which we welcome it, scripturally is in that zone of practical living. So we've got several here. Julie, get us started on the first one. Well, compromise is welcome and necessary when we have the opportunity to put the preferences of others in our brotherhood before ours. And notice that was preferences. We're going to put others' preferences before ours. And that would be uh, demonstrated to us in Romans 12, 9 to 10. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. See, it says give preference to one another in honor. Why? Because when it, when it is a matter of preference, let it be stated that, okay, we can do it your way. You know, the opportunity to put the preferences of others before us is a wonderful exercise in humility and fellowship. And what it lets that brother or sister know is that you're important to me. I'm listening to you. So that's a good place for us to start, the opportunity to put the preferences of others in our brotherhood before us. Julie, what's next? Compromise is welcome, and it's necessary when we have differing views on important matters, and we can respect and encourage others who see these matters differently. And that we see in Romans 14, 2 to 3. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who eats, um, 
he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Okay, so this this area is respect and encourage others who see these matters differently. We have differences of opinion, we have differences of approach, and what the scripture is telling us is, chill out. Give others a chance to live up to their own conscience, and respect and encourage those who may see something differently that are not on the level of scriptural life and death principles. Let them think and be according to what they are. And this is huge. This is hard. This is compromise that encourages spiritual growth. Julie, what's the next one? Uh, Compromise is welcome and necessary when we embrace another's opinion on important matters as being of the same value as our own. That's found in Romans 14, 13 to 14. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So you have to realize that each of us has areas where we may not be as strong as someone else. And what this scripture is saying unequivocally is when you have a brother or sister who may not be as strong as you are in this particular area, you let their conscience speak to them, and you respect that conscience of theirs. You respect it as being of the same value as your own. Well, you know what? They really don't know. You know, they really need to grow up. Really. Do you want God to treat you that way? Think about it. Think about how sinful you are, okay? We all know how sinful we are. Do we want God to treat us that way? We should treat our brothers the, the same way that God through Christ treats us, with respect as to where we are and how we can grow through things. Now, all of these compromises in, in, in the area of practical living, you're saying, wow, it's really great. You know, you embrace everybody. Okay, these compromises do not mean, they do not mean that we ever embrace things related to immoral thoughts or behavior. Those things are simply, in a Christian environment, not acceptable. They just don't belong. So somebody comes in to your church, and they have you know, the, the, a man and a woman, and they're together, and they're living together, and they're not married, and they're saying, well, we're coming to Christ, and you talk about compromise, and you know, the, to us, this is the right way. The answer is, no, it's not. And when they say, why? And we say, because God said so. Things like that we don't give an inch on because God made those very plain, very clear. And you know, do I want to be a Christian who is following Jesus or not? <laughs> it's really, really simple. But again, when, it's, when, when we have the brotherhood and we can compromise, we should. So we looked at practical living. Let's look at the next zone, the next compromise welcoming zone of spiritual belief. Julie, what's the first one here? And this is about what drives us. Compromise is welcome and necessary when we can change what we do for the sake of the spirituality of others. See, that's a big deal. When we can change what we do for the sake of somebody else's spirituality, not for the comfort of others, okay, but for their highest spiritual welfare. Sometimes there are hard things you have to go through for the sake of others' spiritual welfare going to the higher levels 
and our, ourselves as well, but change what we do for the sake of their spirituality. And that's 1 Corinthians 8, 10 through 13. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. See, the Apostle Paul is being very specific. It doesn't bother me, he's saying. But if my brother is bothered, I need to understand and love my brother enough to change what I do for his spirituality. That's a big concept. You could do an entire podcast on what does that really mean. But we need to understand this is a golden opportunity to compromise for the sake of another. What's another compromise uh, for the benefit of, uh, um, in the zone of spiritual belief, Julie? Compromise is welcome and necessary when we are in passionate disagreement about meanings regarding scriptural truth, and we put that passion aside as we together delve more deeply into the word. Boy, I've seen a lot of really fights over, you know, this is what the scripture says. No, this is what the scripture says. And you have to believe it my way. And boy, second Timothy two, 14 to 16 is something we all need to keep in our front of our minds. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. So it's interesting. We always quote the scripture uh, about uh, uh, verse, verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman, you know, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we always look at that and say, yes, we, ought, we have to focus ourselves on study and prayer and, and rightly dividing the word of truth. But it's in the context, it's right in the middle of problems. And it's saying, don't wrangle about words. And he's, Paul says it's useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Rather, study, be diligent to show yourself approved. And I think the implication is not just you individually, but collectively. Study together when you have those issues. That's hard to do. But study together, rightly dividing the word of truth. Work together. Avoid wordly and empty chatter. Focus on the most important things. And again, this is where we can put our passion aside and work with those we may have some disagreement with on scriptural truth so that we can get to the bottom line as best as we can together. Julie, go ahead. And that's going to that's help our character. Yeah. That unity is going to help our character, whereas if we're going to split apart over those words, it's, it's, it's ruining us. It, it, it is. And, and look, this, this, this compromise does not mean that anybody's fancied interpretation of Scripture is acceptable just because somebody says, well, you know, I believe this and I want to believe, believe thus and so. All of our beliefs have to square with the doctrine of Christ. They just simply have to square with the rest of the Scriptures, that's the point, is to find the harmony of the Bible. And whatever it is, I take it. I accept it. It's mine. Let's work together. But put the passion aside so we can work with one another. Our final compromise welcoming zone is that of spiritual fellowship. Julie, we've got one point here. 
Compromise is welcome and necessary when it will make us and those around us stronger. And we find that really well demonstrated in Philippians 4, 1-3. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So these were two sisters that had an issue, and he was encouraging them to live in harmony. And being unified will make us all stronger. When we're at odds with someone, we may just need to get past it. And we have to compromise and be willing to accept something we might not have wanted to. But those are specific areas of compromise. The other areas, we do not want to compromise. We do not want to compromise with Satan. We absolutely want to compromise with our brethren. You know, and and it's this is interesting because I love the way Paul starts this. My beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown. I mean, think of he's not just being poetic. He is pouring his heart, his love out to these individuals. He's saying, "Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved." And then he talks about these two sisters and says, "Help them get together because both of them have helped me." So you see, there's this incredible connection. And he's saying, don't let that connection be sullied by our individual differences. Let's find ways to compromise as long as it's scriptural so that we can all worship and honor God together. So you, so you see, there are several things that we should compromise on. But like we were saying, this is not the kind of thing that you look at and say, okay, I can compromise on anything. No, deals with the devil, off limits. Anything with the word catastrophe, run away. We don't want to be part of that. What we do want to be part of is what Moses did again and again with Pharaoh. No, not going to water down what God has told me to do. This is what I will do. And for us, it's no, I will not water down what Jesus has directed me to do. He's shown me the path. He walked the path. I will walk in his footsteps, and I will compromise with my brothers and sisters as we walk together in the footsteps of Jesus. Make sure your compromises are to the point of being spiritually beneficial and strong and blessed. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or Send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. Now, coming up next week, how can I persevere when life gets tough? You don't want to miss this. We have some amazing stories we're going to share with you. How can I persevere when life gets tough? Talk to you next week.